Hi Cult Hackers, this is Stephen. Before I bring you the second part of Andrew Pledger's interview, I just want to say that we had a technical issue yesterday. So if you downloaded yesterday's version, the first part of our interview with Andrew, if you downloaded that early yesterday, then you may have a version where the sound isn't synchronized. So I'm really sorry about that. That was my fault, a technical issue um, emanating from me, I'm afraid. Um, I've since changed the file, so you should be able to listen to the one now that is synchronized properly. Um, obviously, it's possible you have an old version downloaded onto your app, so an easy way to solve that would be to just use a different app for that particular one, or click on the link in the show notes, which will allow you to go to a web page where you can listen to part one there. So my apologies to you and to Andrew for that mistake, and I hope it didn't spoil your enjoyment too much. So here's part two of Andrew's interview. Hello, Cult Hackers. I'm Celine, a media graduate with a personal interest in cults. And I'm Stephen, organisational psychologist, also with an interest in cults and high control groups, and a former member. This is part two of our conversation with Andrew Pledger. If you've not caught part one yet, I recommend you stop this podcast here and go and check out part one. It'll make much more sense that way. We got to the point in your story where you'd essentially been kicked out of your university um, Mm -hmm. because you dared to um, say things (laughs) that you shouldn't. Um, So we, I mean, we thought that was pretty outrageous that, you know, because you start to say that you've got doubts or you don't necessarily follow the, Mm. the, the, the doctrines, then you're no longer able to carry on with your education, which seems a strange state of affairs. But anyway, that's where we got to. Um, so do you want to pick up the story from there? I know there's quite a lot more to, to talk about. So <laughs> yes. what, what happens next? Yeah, of course. Um, so kind of, I can't remember what I said about the expulsion, but yeah, basically what you said, it was because of some of the um, doubts and opinions uh, that I presented that didn't align with what the Christian University, Bob Jones University, promoted. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because in order to go to this university, you have to, when you apply, you basically have to read their doctrinal statement and you have to say that you agree with it. And like, if you do that, you can get into the university basically. And so even at 18, when I applied, I was on the fence, I guess you would say, like I knew Mm -hmm. I was going to leave the IFB church or the independent Baptist church that I grew up in. I was going to leave that movement. Um, and even though reading that statement, there were things that I just didn't agree with anymore. And even though like I hadn't unpacked, I already constructed it, just reading it, um, this very extremely conservative, patriarchal, heteronormative, um, very, um, literalist approach to doctrine Mm -hmm. and the Bible. And, you know, for people who don't know what a literal approach is, a literal approach approach to the bible and you know it it basically means that people take everything literally so these people they believe the world was created in seven days um they believe the world is between six and ten thousand years old some people are adamant about around six thousand some people are like uh six to ten thousand (laughs) Um, (laughs) and it's insane anyways but um and they take all these um mythological stories mm-hmm. as literal um and it's interesting because when there's when people find issues in their scriptures they're like oh that's just metaphorical that's not literal it's so funny how they um just jump to that mm-hmm. but that's a whole other thing mm-hmm. um but because um i didn't conform uh, to that university's doctrine i did you know i if i would have if i went online and i absolutely um, push their ideological agenda, it would not have been an issue. But no, I was authentic and I, you know, I saw and exposed the holes in their doctrine. Mm-hmm. 
and there's How a lot of you. issues in it. <laughs> mm. And when I got in trouble, they never actually addressed anything that I said. They they never argued with me. They never tried to have an argument mm. to refute it because they couldn't. <laughs> um, but that's not how cults work <laughs> at all because at all. But um, mm. since leaving Bob Jones and a lot of people call Bob Jones a cult, um, especially after they've like, oh my, they're like, gosh, that's such a cult. And mm. what was interesting is that no one ever like intellectually dug into it. And that's when I decided to use Stephen Hassan's bite model and Lifton's um, criteria for thought reform. And once I actually looked at it and compared to all the different things that Bob Jones, I'm like, oh my gosh, this college is really a Christian cult. Mm-hmm. Um, and to think of a university for kicking someone out just for something that they said or their views, that is ridiculous. But if you look at it from the perspective of a cult, um, and you go against what the cult says and what their doctrine says, and you don't conform, that totally makes sense that a cult would like completely excommunicate you mm. and kick you out. So once we, once I saw it in that perspective, I was like, okay, like this is a cult, and I didn't go along um, with their belief system and their doctrines, and I didn't conform and stay quiet. Um, and that was really why I got um, expelled for that. And um, on my social media, I made a very uh, three-part series on why BJU is a cult, and that's on my Instagram. So after being expelled, um, it was interesting the way Bob Jones handled it because it was a very different situation, I think, than anything they dealt with. I, I think they struggled to find a way to kick me out mm-hmm. um, because the interview that I was expelled for, I was very respectful I mean, I didn't even say anything bad about the university itself. Mm. Um, I it sh- I could have said a lot of true bad things mm. about the university, but I didn't because that wasn't the point of the video. Um, I was just talking about the doctrines and different things. So, um, and that's another red flag of Bob Jones is I remember signing something, um, basically saying that I would never go in the media and say anything about them wow. while I was there. So mm. that's another red flag when someone says, yeah, you can't, you can't go in the media and say anything about it. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's just compare that to a mainstream university or college. Um, so, you know, if you go to a university, I'm, I'm sure this would have been the case for me in my universities or, or you, Celine, you know, mm-hmm. if you were to do an interview on Instagram or YouTube or whatever and mm-hmm. sort of disagree with uh, one of the theories of, of um, one of the tutors, let's say, or one of the researchers mm-hmm. who was teaching at the university, let's say, you know, you disagreed with a particular interpretation of whatever it was, mm-hmm. um, selection, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, within evolution mm-hmm. or something. You, you, that, but also... Yeah. Mm-hmm. What just knowing from the fact that, I mean, just the like cultural ethos of my particular institution, like certain things would be brought up and the uni would be held accountable. And I know mm-hmm. people that did that and didn't get any repercussions, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, if you did you something really offensive, be really left wing and, and, you know, alt, <laughs> you're going to get them even coming um, yeah. back and pointing out your own stuff. So, yeah, that was mm-hmm. very much. You, if they encourage it, they've got to kind of follow through, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you you know, it is, that's kind of unprecedented, I would have thought. I mean, yeah. when I, in both of my universities, I never had to sign anything to say that I would never say anything about the university. You know, that was mm. not, I wouldn't even thought, I wouldn't even thought about <laughs> doing that. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's unusual, isn't it? That's, um, that's mm-hmm. not a normal uh, place of learning, is it? No. Yeah, and I think that was a red flag that mm. basically that said, yeah, we have a lot of controversies here and we've harmed a lot of people, so we're just going to make you sign this so you don't <laughs> even hurt our reputation even more. To me, like, between the lines, that's what <laughs> it seemed to say to me. And um, But like I said in that video, I didn't say anything bad about the university. Mm. I just said, 
um, that I went there and the doctrines that I um, poked are really pointing out the holes in, it was just fundamentalist Christian doctrine. It wasn't just exclusive to Bob Jones because Bob Jones is a fundamentalist Christian college. I mean, it doesn't advertise itself that way, but mm. that's what it really is. <laughs> it likes to say that it's non-denominational Protestant, but when you actually go there, it is fundamentalist Christian, most yeah. definitely. Um, and so it was interesting because after being expelled, a lot of people were more upset than I was about it. I mean, and I understood I should have been, I mean, most people would think that from that situation, I would be like super upset because I was expelled my very last um, semester, right before I was, I was about to, I was going to graduate back in May of 2022 uh, with my bachelor's degree, but mm. I got expelled my last semester just because of that interview. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting uh, to see people um, online responding to my story and finding out that I got expelled because I was public about my story and my deconstruction journey of uh, basically taking apart that doctrine and really examining it and looking at the history of it and, and the legitimacy of it. And a lot of people were like, they were just actually upset. They're like, oh my gosh, like I am, this makes me so angry. And like even um, different people friends and family on Facebook um, that were upset about that. And like, to me, I had a lot of, I, I had just, I didn't feel like one emotion. I had mixed feelings when it mm-hmm. come, when it came to being kicked out. When I was kicked out, um, I felt such a sense of relief. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like my nervous system just suddenly um, calmed down mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and to me, I, it, I had joy <laughs> because I knew that I was finally free um, from fundamentalist Christianity. I mean, it, you know, I was excommunicated, but I was still free from it. What, what were the doctrines um, that you were challenging? Were, were they the things around um, creationism and the flood and these sorts of things, or, or was it more about policies and things? Oof. I mean, it was really like, just totally tearing apart the legitimacy of the bible okay. like that's right. like that's like the foundation of everything okay. um and the thing is you know it was really hard for me um to understand that there were christians that didn't believe the bible was the word of god not all christians actually believe that and that blew my mind <laughs> when i met other people that were more progressive or um decided to see it just in a different light or took it just metaphorically and not literally and didn't take the old testament so seriously and understand that it was written in a different time period seeing it as an example of culture in a time period and not see it as absolute truth to put into our government and to force on everyone which we see sadly in christian nationalism Mm. Um, but in fundamentalist christianity um it's very easy to totally um, find evidence that totally disproves their doctrine. And some of the core things of fundamentalist Christianity that Bob Jones is number one is that the Bible is inerrant, which means there's no errors, there's no mistakes whatsoever. And um, in another red flag in this kind of environment I heard at Bob Jones and even growing up is that you're not supposed to question the word of God or the doctrines. And what they really mean is we can't, you can't question our interpretation That's of right. these doctrines of what we're telling you to believe. That's really what they mean when they mm-hmm. say that. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are over 60,000 denominations of Christianity across the world who see the Bible differently. Um, so there's never been an agreed upon interpretation anyways. But when you're in a cultic group, you don't have any other information or perspective to even understand that. And you're told that you have the absolute truth and that you're on the right path and your way is the only way and your group is the only group that's right and you're going to heaven, basically, and you've got to spread your interpretation of doctrine. And once it was really easy to tear apart the inerrancy part, like, okay, like finding errors in the Bible, I was really shocked with how easy it was. It was very jolting to me. And I felt kind of stupid for a second. I was like, <laughs> I was, uh, but then, you know, I give myself grace because I was indoctrinated uh, for so long. But when I really began to engage my critical thinking skills, I was like, wait, I'm like, they're telling us this book is perfect. And we 
affirm this over and over again, but we have this book right here. We can prove or disprove that ourselves. And if it is perfect, then, and if it's the right religion, that it will stand up to scrutiny. Um, but it didn't. And just even mentioning that in my interview, oof, like that totally, like that destroys the whole foundation of the fundamentalist Christianity. Now, not all Christians believe that. So there are some Christians who are like, well, they, like, yeah, duh, I knew that. Like, and some people, some Christian denominations don't require that belief or that doctrine anyways. Sure. Um, it's just kind of that historical background and how that belief was just passed down um, to generations of Christians. And so I think that was the core thing that really they really hated. And then also um, talking about mythology and how a lot of these stories have been told and retold over and over again, but rehashed in different ways. And um, and you know, I talked about how you know we can see the value from a metaphorical perspective in that, and we we don't have to dismiss it just because it's metaphorical. There might be meaning. Yeah, in this that is, story. This is one of my um, feelings as well, and I feel it's such a shame that we mm-hmm. have this resource in the Bible that is a mm-hmm. a book, or actually, it's a collection of writings. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. written by all these different characters from different walks of Mm -hmm. life uh, and they give you such an insight into the way that they made sense of their world at the time Mm -hmm. and how you know how how confusing the world must have been for them and Mm -hmm. how they tried to make sense of it through thinking about god and other gods and Mm -hmm. so on and that's fascinating isn't it and yet we we lose all that when we just see it as a literal Mm. uh yeah book that essentially god has passed down to us and that every single mm-hmm. word is literally true although as you say yeah. uh, when it suits um, these <laughs> religious leaders they um, yeah they're quick to say oh well you know that wasn't literal or that was mm-hmm. a metaphor but yeah um mm-hmm. it, it, i think it's a missed opportunity yeah it's an absolute mm-hmm. missed opportunity the sooner mm-hmm. we can see yes. it for what it is the better i think mm-hmm. yes yeah, when we can learn from it and yeah it was interesting because when i was expelled um for the interview, I thought they were going to expel me because that was the moment that I decided to publicly um, really come out and talk about my queer identity and how um, I was so traumatized by religion because of all these toxic, harmful messages and doctrines on sexuality Mm. um, and experiencing a lot of spiritual and psychological abuse growing up in the IFB. And I really thought that Bob Jones was going to kick me out just for coming out. Um, because Bob Jones, they've done that before. They've kicked out LGBTQ plus students who decided to come out online. Or, you know, students have even gotten in trouble for showing support online for LGBTQ plus people. They don't have accurate teachings on sexuality at all. It is not based on, because, you know, they don't believe or they don't understand or have even exposed themselves to psychology period. Bob Jones is very anti-psychology, um, yeah. which is really sad and unfortunate. Yeah. They just yeah. Don't, well, they don't really want to know how it's working in there, I guess. There's no questions no. asked. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's my group used to call it worldly thinking, you know, so um, <laughs> you know, these sorts of things um, encourage worldly thinking. So I, I think it's probably time we, we did, um, uh, get you to tell us a little bit about this part of your story so your sexuality and mm, yeah. the part that had in your the process of you um, realizing that there was a problem in mm. terms of your positioning your your christian identity i suppose and your sexual identity mm. and um, how that all kind of came out mm. so do you want to tell us a little bit about yeah. that and yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, really, with religious trauma and being LGBTQ+, um, in these toxic environments, you're really forced to choose between your two identities, your religious identity and your queer identity. Uh, so that means if you are very religious and you love spirituality, but then again, you know, you're a part of the LGBTQ plus community, which is, um, you know, that's part of who you are, is sexuality is not something... Um, that you can change on your own. Mm. Um, and it's interesting because I, I grew up hearing that you could change your sexuality and, um, mm. bitch, I don't think that's possible. I mean, I know 
you know, sexuality can be fluid and it changes on its own sometimes, but that's just a natural process and not Mm -hmm. something you're really in control of. It just happens. And sexuality is something that, um, you know, we're, we have so much more to even understand on it and so much more research, um, in psychology, Mm -hmm. um, to better help people who are in, um, these environments where, you know, they are just exposed to so much discrimination Mm -hmm and a lot of hateful um, messages. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was just with a lot of LGBTQ plus people in these environments, there's just this strong inner conflict. Um, You're forced to pick between two things. And so, um, and it's really, it's a battle that really can't be won at all um so if you just if you decide oh well i'm just gonna be a christian and i can't be queer well you know well that doesn't really matter you can tell yourself that you're not something but you can just repress it and it's still going to be there and you can ignore it all you want but it's still there and Mm -hmm. all that repression will cause a lot of terrible uh, mental health issues and will contribute to religious trauma and i think internalized homophobia is a big part too of uh, religious trauma and in these churches is you're really um, you're really taught to hate yourself and that God sees you as disgusting or evil and in these kinds of environments and fundamentalism uh, they love the story of Sodom and Gomorrah mm-hmm. um, and they have this very specific interpretation um, of it of yeah God destroyed this city because um, they were homosexuals and so yeah so we can't allow homosexuality in society whatsoever and once I actually like deconstructed that and read some verse in the Bible about, and it was talking about, and you know, I don't take the Bible literally and I don't believe this happened. It was just people interpreting maybe um, a natural disaster that happened as a judgment. But um, re- going back and seeing that, I can't remember what passage it was, but you can look this up online. I'm sure somewhere just the, the real, um meaning behind the destruction or whatever of sodom and gomorrah but once i read about it it talked about how um the people in sodom and gomorrah didn't really care for the poor and people would steal from the poor and people didn't care and i was like huh i'm like this is really interesting and i I didn't see any um mention of that in the bible and i was like okay i'm like so these um you know as human beings are worldview and our perception is you know it it distorts everything we interpret basically mm-hmm. and so if you know if you bring uh, and Gomorrah and you're homophobic then you're looking <laughs> for a reason mm-hmm. to hate gay people or a connection and um and kind of looking behind the context and trying to see all the perspectives of something can help us um get past that distortion um the best that we can but in fundamentalist christianity there's only one perspective and one way Mm -hmm. (laughs) to interpret and look at and certain interpretations of things have been just passed down and claimed as absolute truth and so here you are in this environment and you hear about this god that's loving and wonderful Mm -hmm. and, and then one week he's like angry and wrathful and wants to destroy people um so it was very it was very traumatic for me because I, there was one, t- there was a time, I, I guess, in my youth, you know, I was, I mean, I was indoctrinated greatly, but, you know, I identified as a fundamentalist Christian. And I think at one point in my life, it did help me um, emotionally, but it did keep me from growing emotionally too. And it stunted my psychological and intellectual growth. And um, to believe that a God loves you at one time and then suddenly realize that they want nothing to do with you, um, even though it's just a belief, um, it was very traumatic because um, to me, it was real at that time. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can support it by becoming a patron. You can support the podcast for just £1 or $1.50 and receive a variety of Patreon benefits as a thank you. Don't forget to share the podcast, follow, like, subscribe and rate the podcast on the podcast app you're using. A review is particularly helpful as it gets us recognised by new listeners. And finally, if you'd like to reach out to us and tell us about some court hacking you've been involved in or you just want to say hi, you can do so by going to courthackers.com and using the contact form. We love hearing from our court hackers. Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast. 
how how does that group sort of reconcile the fact that you um, undeniably have feelings that um, of attraction? Um, so how do they reconcile that with with uh, God and you know the fact that God's made us this particular mm. way but actually yeah although he's made us this mm-hmm. way actually that's mm-hmm. not the way that he wants us is to behave just, is it going to be it's a test is that <laughs> <laughs> i know to me yeah it's interesting uh. and when people have those experiences um you know people just blame the devil that's what they say they're like oh the devil implanted mm. that inside of you and like there are some um there are some crazy Christian denominations that will talk about a demonic spirit of homosexuality or oh. something like that so yeah i know that's crazy and so i never i never heard my church say you have a demonic experience um a spirit inside of you it was more like you're being influenced by demons or spiritual Mm -hmm. or you're under spiritual warfare or your mind is um and honestly the church wouldn't really address or even address that people um experience that without choice because the way it was presented to me growing up was that it was always a choice there was no it was it was just a behavior that was it that's what like it was presented there was nothing deeper than that yeah because i guess if you're refusing the psychology aspect of things mm -hmm. you can't really dig deeper than that can you no you can't (laughs) no it's just you are what you do and that's all yeah Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, it's not deeper to them than that. And so that's what made me really start questioning because my experiences with sexuality didn't match what they taught. They taught mm-hmm. that it was a choice and just a behavior. But once mm-hmm. I experienced that, that wasn't true for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that really started to crack away at fundamentalist Christianity mm-hmm. uh, for me. Because there's, um, I don't know if you've heard this or correct me if I'm wrong, Dad, but I remember someone saying, with the Jehovah's Witnesses, it's kind of like there's like quote unquote practicing gay or not. So it's just like, well, you, yeah, it's like, well, you you are, that's and that's accepted that you are, I suppose, yeah. but you just don't act upon it, and then it's fine. I think the the, the way that Jehovah's Witnesses tend to talk about it um, from memory mm-hmm. is that they they say that it might be the case that an individual has urges has um Uh desires and that's genuine but that's down to our sinful nature so this is all down to adamic sin you know Uh, yeah sadly yeah Um, there's great things for everybody you know which is Uh, is absolutely horrific really isn't it um it is yeah Um, we spoke to um we had an interview Mm. with um germ which was interesting yeah. yeah yeah Um, but yeah, I think no matter which group we're talking about, it's never it's never a, a good conversation. This, but it's always mm, no, oh, not at all. it's always yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I can't yeah, imagine I mean, what it feels like actually, um, Andrew, to mm. to be told um, that just the, just the normal feelings you've got are are yeah. wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it's yeah. hard enough, I think, for fundamentalist Christians to, um, and I put Jehovah's Witnesses in in that group in this respect yeah. in that um you know you can't have sex before marriage so we mm-hmm. had a lot of um you know horny teenagers um yes. getting married basically but when so oh yes you know mm. when you're when you realize you're gay you kind of don't even have that outlet really uh, or that that mm. opportunity or, or if you do then you have to get married to somebody you're powerful mm-hmm. not really attracted to and that's that must yeah be difficult. yeah and like sadly that has happened yeah um a lot and thankfully i don't think it's 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 still happening after today but not as much as it used to mm-hmm. um thankfully because society um is starting to progress and understand and move forward mm. and and i totally relate to what you're saying how they're teaching you that you know it's a part of your sin nature and yeah. you know they demonized all sexuality honestly mm. and and honestly you know um, you couldn't even be outside of the heteronormative standard in those environments. But mm. um, if you if you were heterosexual in those environments, you still had to um, sexually repress yourself. And like you said, wait until marriage. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, they would tell you um, how it's like, oh, like if you if you wait, it's going to be so great. 
and there's a lot of pressure. Um, and, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of pressure. And you know, I've I've talked to friends, um, you know, and it's interesting, but um, just to see the difference in the durations. But there are some friends that are, you know, I identify as Christians, and they decide to not wait till marriage mm. at all. And that was something that you know they were okay with, and you know that's fine. It surprises mm. me when I meet conservative Christians, fundamentalists who do that, which I don't, I don't judge people for doing that. It's just I know the background they came from, and mm. I'm sure like to me the psychological discomfort. <laughs> Mm. that comes with that and i think um people who do decide to have sex before marriage because of all those years of conditioning mm. um around sexuality in general um because in the um, fundamentalist christianity and like you know in these conservative christian environments it's kind of like when you do it before marriage for the first time it's kind of like a do or die situation like if you do it mm-hmm. like it's the end of the world basically mm-hmm. um sadly and you know i remember growing up in sunday school just hearing purity culture lessons and uh, the teacher they had an object lesson of like they had an empty vase and they had two colored sands and different vases and like they poured the two color sands together to represent what happens when you have sex <laughs> and they were mm-hmm. like can you separate the colors of sand that are mixed together in this vase and they were like this is what happens when you have sex <laughs> and so <laughs> so it's so much fear yeah. and to them um they teach that when you have sex with someone your soul or your spirit or whatever is forever connected to them on a spiritual level or something. Mm-hmm. And you can't cut that cord or cut that off and you're forever um, attached to that person. So you want to be attached only um, to one person, the person that, you know, you're getting married mm-hmm. to and you're going to commit to for the rest of your life. Um, and, you know, I think there is definitely an emotional bond around having sex with someone those you know the oxytocin is released when you have that intimacy um and i do think that you can gradually break that connection with someone and emotionally move on it takes time but i think it has to do more with um physiological things and biological things because that connection not necessarily um that your soul is forever <laughs> attached yeah. to this other person. Yeah. 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 It's um it's a whole yeah, it's a whole toxic situation, isn't it? Because you've um you've got people that are being they're not being educated in, in sex properly. Mm. So you're getting mm. you know, then when people yeah. do eventually or potentially they either decide they're gonna go before marriage or they get married, whatever happens, mm-hmm. but they don't yeah. know how anything's you know if they don't know their own boundaries their own selves you know they don't if someone if someone's not right for them do they Mm -hmm. know that they can cut it off you know or if someone's a bad person Mm. you know and you've been told but you're connected by your souls now all the stakes are so Mm. high um yeah and it's a lot of pressure so just on that level even if everything's worked out you're perfect for each other but you're like it's going to be the best night of your life and you're like all right let's go great disappointment yeah because neither of you know anything without getting into too much um personal detail i mean that was um that was my situation um when i got married so um me and uh sarah still my wife um we were jehovah's witnesses when we met and we got married so yeah that was that's right we followed the rules that was that was us really and um Mm -hmm. yeah um i mean we've been married now 29 years so there's a lot of nice things about that and um Mm -hmm. there's something Mm -hmm. nice about okay um yeah we we met we we, of course we got together but that can still happen without you know absolutely that's not written that's not necessarily Mm -hmm. you know a requirement of a long-term one and no. you know they're all just only ever being with one person i mean i've only ever had my one partner because we met quite young and mm-hmm. that's nice but it's not because god helped me out with it or anything no, no, no. <laughs> that's it yeah. and it's your choice isn't it i mean that's the thing yeah. it's, it's all about you feel choice, free really. and yeah. you feel free and knowledgeable mm-hmm. and you're making yeah. your own choices yeah you feel it, it feels safe yeah but it is but, kind yeah, of weird we it is kind of weird mm-hmm. you know you sort mm-hmm. of um, yes mm-hmm. you know tonight is the night 
you know, it's. I know uh, it's very high stakes. <laughs> it's very high stakes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I think. I think it's. Yeah, I, I, we've not talked about that before, but yeah, no, it is. No. It is quite intense, isn't it? Yeah, I know. This is yeah. this is a funny story. I just remembered mm-hmm. of a couple um, who went on their honeymoon when they mm. literally it was the pastor's daughter who, and I th- I don't know if they believed in this, but it seemed like they did. Um, it's kind of like. They seem to me like one of those people who believed in the um, stay-at-home daughter type mm. um, belief of like a daughter could not leave home until yeah. she got married, mm-hmm. um, which makes me wonder why she got maybe why she uh, got married. But anyways, this girl she she um, first our our original pastor died in like 2018, and then I think like a year or two later we got a new pastor. He had a few kids and one of his, I think the daughter was like uh, 19 or 20 or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think when she got married mm-hmm. or something, maybe, a, maybe a little older. Um, but um, I mean, I, I make fun of it cause I think it's hilarious, <laughs> um, but it's really terrible what happened. But um, it was very clear when I met this guy, cause I actually ended up um, shooting the photos of their wedding mm-hmm. and I kind of got to know them a little bit and just, I'm not going to get into too much detail, but the, sure. the guy was so excited for sex. Like it was so <laughs> obvious. That's all he was. Yeah. That's all he was like thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and once they went on their honeymoon, um, you know, they went to, I, I'm trying to remember. I think they got, <laughs> they, they went to a terrible like hotel and it was just mm-hmm. nasty. <laughs> <laughs> and like the guy ended up getting like, passing kidney stones like during the whole thing (laughs) and like i'm like no like that's so like everything that could have gotten i think they got food Mm -hmm. poisoning too yeah and like anything that could have gone wrong did and like that Mm -hmm. had nothing to do with purdy culture but i was like i thought that was just i'm like they've been waiting so long for this and all these terrible things (laughs) oh no yeah because it it feels worse doesn't it though when you've if if that's not the pressure you're just it's just yeah you know, it's just, you know, yeah, potentially funny stories to look back on and you're like, how ridiculous is all of this? But when, when you're putting all that pressure on it, you're like, no, it can't happen. It's got to be perfect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so true. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it, it's into being, you know, your your life, the most intimate um, part of your life is being interfered with by mm-hmm. these um, these authorities, often. yeah, <laughs> well, yes. normally um, is, uh, and just, um, yeah, you know. it's 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 not healthy not healthy at all no no but yeah so i guess we'll, we'll go we'll, we'll find our way back onto the main track that we were on, Got on you. Yes. yeah 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 <laughs> but uh, so, we've gone on to funny stories now but yes we have yes so yeah um so you're you're you've obviously been this has been part of your struggle for quite some time mm. when you're still sort of identifying yourself as a fundamentalist mm-hmm. christian but you've got this battle going on uh mm-hmm. with with your sexuality and mm-hmm. you're having to make this choice um yeah so is there anything more to say about that in terms of when you leave mm. and, and how you feel about yeah it most definitely yeah so i was i would say that you know for many years in my teen years i tried to really deconstruct the toxicity of fundamentalist christianity but at that time i was not trauma informed and i was not educated on trauma whatsoever so i i underestimated or really was unaware of that um and that was really the struggle was with just trauma and this the hard thing was really um getting to know myself and forming my own identity, understanding what are my values? What do I actually believe? Not something my parents told me or forced me to do. But what do I, as a person, what do I value? I would say a year before I was excommunicated. Yeah, it was a year before that, that, you know, I had really, I decided to leave Christianity because through my exploring of religious trauma, psychology, I realized that a lot of the things that I did and I claimed to believe it was all about adapting to my environment and being accepted into a group. It was, Mm. and, you know, and, you know, believing in a higher power. um, I felt like um, it gave me an excuse to not deal with my own problems or deal with my own issues. It it was so easy to just pray and not think about it or not, um, really do anything and just be like, Oh, just give it to God. Like I'm so small and helpless, but God's almighty, he can fix this. But, um, I think 
that really, like I said, just stunted my growth in all mm-hmm. areas of my life and really understanding and making that decision to truly claim my autonomy and really stop praying. Like that mm-hmm. was really hard for me to do because, um, you know, I think I was very, I got an emotional high from praying most definitely um, because of what I believed about it, I guess yeah. you would say, all those years of conditioning. And so, and that was hard for me to start making decisions um, based on the information that I have and being rational. <laughs> um, that was hard to do. It was kind of scary because you're like, oh, well, you know, there's no God actually guiding this. Like, you know, what whatever decisions I make, there could be good consequences. There could be mm. bad consequences. I don't always know all the things that are going to interact or happen. Mm. And it's kind of scary to think of it that way. And, you know, religion, and it definitely can be a way to cope with the hard reality of life. And I've seen different people use religion in a toxic way to not grow as people and to just really be indecisive and just be very complacent and um, just and use religion as an excuse to not really grow, I guess you would say. Yeah. It's one of the things I like about humanism is that, you know, as a humanist, Mm. I see that it's up to me to um, try Mm. to make uh, my life as good as I possibly can. It's, it's my responsibility Mm -hmm. and and to help others and to make their lives Mm -hmm. as good as I as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. And, you know, together we, we want to make the world a better place and that's down to us. Mm -hmm. It's human beings that need to do that. It's not, Mm. we can't just sit around waiting for God to do it. And as you say, that feels like such a more mature way to approach it than the mm-hmm. childish notion of, well, I'll just, yeah. I'll just put, I'll put all my faith in this yeah. um, invisible mm-hmm. being that will do it all for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Some Christians would deny that's what they think, and that may be true. But um, mm-hmm. I think there is a, there is a, a danger, as you say, mm-hmm. that um, that you remain quite infantile, mm-hmm. really, yeah. in your in your outlook. Yes, most definitely, because there were some people that Bob Jones I would talk to. Um, and there would be in situations that they needed to claim their autonomy and make a decision to leave. Like I had a friend who had a very bad roommate situation. And I was like, why don't you go request to get a new roommate and talk about the issues that you're dealing with? They're like, oh no, I'm going to pray about it. God's going to work this out. And I just, I was just, I, I was like, okay, hmm. I really wanted to go off, but I knew they were very religious. And I'm like, that's, you know, I know how they think. So I'm like, I'm not, I just internally, I was like, oh my gosh, like he's just, yeah. Uh, and making then, his life so much harder. But even if you did go off and try and help, they'd just say it was God because you know they hadn't yes. directly done it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I was say, I how know. Do they, <laughs> how, then you're yeah. looking for portents and signs, oh, aren't you, to um, determine whether God wanted me to do this or God wanted yeah. me to do that? You know. But yeah. it was like um, someone you gave some bike handles to some kid once, and they were like, "Oh, Jehovah will provide." Your Jehovah, Jehovah does provide. Really provides, you're like, yeah, yeah and it's like, handles, but I gave yeah. you those bike handles. <laughs> I provided. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. Jehovah. It was me. I did it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's um, mm-hmm. it, it's a yeah, it's a very kind of warped mm. way of looking at the world. Yeah, and like I relate to what you were saying about um, that humanistic approach in which even humanism, you know, anything outside of their doctrine is demonized. So. Um, but to me, I don't see an issue with people saying, I'm going to be the best I can be. I'm yeah. going to reach my full potential. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. that's kind of how I live my life. I'm trying to be the best that I can be. Mm-hmm. And so while I was at Bob Jones, um, you know, I was still kind of on that fence. And it wasn't until a year before I was excommunicated that um, I decided to deconvert because I became very aware of all the religious trauma and all the harm this religion, this approach to it was doing to my life. And that um, it was really claiming my autonomy and prioritizing my mental health and my um, well-being and just being true to myself and, um, you know, being expelled from Bob Jones um, and leading that environment. Um, to me, it was it was something I'm glad that happened. And if I could do it over again, I would let it happen mm. um, again because because I got kicked out, you know, I made a photo series on religious trauma um, and I promoted it in that interview and talked about it and why um, it meant so much to me and how I worked through a lot of trauma working on this art series and hopefully uh, hoping that it would connect with people. 
Um, but it was the first time I was able to be authentic and be true to myself and um, being able to walk away and leave that behind, um, you know, fundamentalist Christianity, um, it was something that my parents wanted. It is something that was a part of my parents' identity. It wasn't what I wanted. Mm. It wasn't a part of uh, my identity. And to me, um, fundamentalist Christianity just it represented control, power, and abuse. And to me, walking away um, was a big part of my healing journey and um, understanding that I know what's best for me no matter what. And I have the right um, to live the life that I think is the healthiest for me. And so that was so powerful for me to walk away from that. Yeah. So that sounds like a great place to, um, to sort of in the last 10 minutes, if we can mm-hmm. sort of talk about where, what you're doing now with your life and the work mm-hmm. you're doing. Um, mm. and I know you're studying to, uh, to, to, to work in therapy and, um, mm-hmm. you're also involved in Rachel Bernstein's podcast, which is fantastic. Mm. So do you want to tell us yes. what you're doing with yourself these days? Yeah, of course. So once I was expelled, um, I really decided to take a period of my life, several months to just rest, reflect, um, journal, just heal, have that time of just not worrying about having to do so many different things. Mm. And, you know, during that time of my life, I decided that once I was expelled from Bob Jones, I'm like, okay, like, I'm free, I can share my story um, with anyone I can and make a difference. And so I kind of, you know, became, I guess you would say, kind of like a social media influencer, like a deconstruction influencer, Mm -hmm. using my story and educating people on religious trauma, mental health, and helping people um, grappling with life after religion, really. And so... um, I decided that I was going to take a, a six month like break really from life. Cause I needed it. <laughs> I was like, let's it's yeah. time. Like, and so I was like, okay, I'll get a job in June of 2022. And so, you know, here I am, I'm, you know, I'm, Basically, I've been in therapy since January 2022. So I'm going to therapy, I'm journaling, I'm meditating, reading, um, just exposing myself to ideas and information that I never got a chance to and expanding my mind and learning different perspectives and just growing as a person, just focusing on that human potential. And um, once, I think it was, yeah, it was April of 2022, um, where I got an email from one of Rachel Bernstein's staff and Um, Rachel Bernstein, she interviewed me back in February for her podcast. And Mm -hmm. the episode, I think, was it was published back in July um, of this year. Um, But so we we connected because I reached out to her back in February because her podcast seemed like the perfect place to share my Mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was a it was a few months after that in April that one of her staff reached out to me. They're like, hey, like we're looking for a social media manager. We see that you're very active on social media and you seem we like what you post and what you do mm-hmm. and how you portray yourself. Would you want to work for the Indoctrination podcast? I was sure. like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like immediately I was like, yes. <laughs> like, please. Um, because it was just incredible and perfect because to me, I need a job that mm-hmm. um, gives me purpose. And I'm a very purpose-driven person. And so, yeah, I've been working for the Indoctrination podcast since April this year, and I've loved it, and I hope to work for many years to come mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yes. And, um, you know, I've also become um, a certified life coach, and I specialize in um, religion recovery, um, helping people grapple with the effects of toxic um, religion and you know just to let people know like I'm not trauma informed so if someone comes to me and I think that they have trauma um, I try to make sure that they go to um, a mental health professional mm. and um, it's just you know they're, they're, if you are certified you are taught a guide of ethics and coaching yeah. but coaching is unregulated sadly um, mm. so there are a lot of people out there who don't follow um, a code of ethics but I do just to mm, let yeah. people mm-hmm. know yeah. Um, and so um, it is ethical to have someone you're coaching and they're also seeing a therapist and they're seeing you. To me, like, mm-hmm. I will do that. But if someone needs to see a therapist and they won't, then I can't, I will not yeah. um, coach them because, yeah, you know, therapy is something 
um, you know, I, I, I still had to finish my bachelor's and get my master's to mm-hmm. become a therapist. So I've, you know, since being expelled, I've transferred to a new college. Um, mm-hmm. Good. It's called it's called SNHU, um, Southern New Hampshire University. Right. And I was able to transfer three years of college, oh, um, which is Fantastic. really great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. So I was so happy to do that. So mm-hmm. I, I started that back in the summer, earlier this summer in June. Mm-hmm. And I'm right now starting my second semester um, of my senior year of college. And um, it's interesting because SNHU, they, they – um, you do two classes every eight weeks. So I guess you would say it's uh-huh. my second trimester. That's what they call it, I think. But um, uh-huh. I'm excited because, you know, I switched my major to general studies and a concentration in psychology because I, I want to get a foundation in psychology uh-huh. before I even apply for my master's. So uh-huh. that's what I'm working on now um, in my senior year of college is getting those um, foundational concepts um, in psychology and, um, you know, getting ready for that master's. And, you know, eventually I want to get a doctorate. That'll be a long time for now. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, slowly but surely. I mean, mm. I, I've learned to try to just um, focusing on the journey, really enjoying every part of it. Um, I think so many people are unhappy because they're like, I'll be happy when I get this. Okay, now they get it and I'll be happy when I get this. And then I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. I don't know. Let's not do that. So to me, I'm trying to enjoy every step of the journey and everything that I learn, and mm-hmm. just all the different connections that I can make and um, trying to make a difference um, with sharing my story. And I think a lot of people um, connected with my story when I shared it with Joshua Harris, because um, it spoke to a lot of people who were stuck in toxic mm. religious environments who felt helpless. And kind of like the message of my story and of that interview is that you are your own hero. You are the solution to your problems, but you have to claim that autonomy and go seek that. And I think that is so empowering uh, for a lot of people who feel powerless in these situations. Thank that sounds so fantastic. Much. That's mm-hmm. such a great um, way to finish the podcast. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Congratulations on everything, everything. you're doing. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's really exciting. Um, yeah, keep keep doing it and keep in touch. Um, oh, yes. I, I, we'll obviously um, get you to send us any links and so on. Yeah, um, any resources website. you think would be useful. Oh, yes. um, if people want to reach out to you, I'm sure you'd be happy mm-hmm. to talk to them. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast, um, Andrew, and for giving up your time two nights. For a two-parter. Um, <laughs> two yeah. Um, so we really do appreciate um, your, your, uh, your being with us. Um, thank you very mm-hmm. much, Andrew Pledger. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you for having me on. is an evil sheep production.